Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Welcome everybody to Someone Gets Me. Today, we're going to talk about dealing with change using art and creativity. I have a Dutch artist and author with us, Renata, and she's coming to us from Spain though. So we are going to talk about how to deal with change using art and creativity from a very successful artist and a very successful author all in the same person. So welcome to the show, Renata. Thank you. Very glad that I'm here. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to come and share with us about dealing with change. Because, you know, with coronavirus happening and all of the things in the world and then the changes underneath it all, it's so important to find a way to deal with it in a healthy way so we don't get trapped in unhealthy behaviors or even addiction, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to start out a little bit with some of your story, because it's very interesting. <laughs> and okay. I would like to know, when did you start to become an artist? Have you always been creative since you were a little girl? Or how did all this evolve into your artistic creativity? Yes, well, um, my mother told me that when I was a little baby or, or one or one and a half year old, uh, if I was crying or something, she would give me a, a, a pen or something and a piece of paper and that would, would make me quiet and calm. So I guess at a very young age that was in me. So I can't, can't, I can't remember always having been drawing and, and, and doodling and doing things. Uh, however, when I was a teenager, my father, as a lot of fathers, maybe more than mothers, I don't know. Uh, he told me, well, if you want to be an artist, they don't make money. So you, you can't do that. You really must go to a secretary school. Now, I must admit that does come in healthy, hel- uh, helpful right now because I can type really fast. And that's handy if you're, a, if you're an author. So in that sense, it was okay. But I was a... I was a, a a hobbyist for the for a big part of my of my uh, artistic career really and then in my 20s i started traveling i went all over the world i lived in various countries in in israel in new zealand in uh, 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 well, and then i went to italy and the idea was i thought well i'll just go to italy because i wasn't happy as a i was a secretary for for some years and i didn't like it, it was well, literally depressed it it, it uh, it wasn't me. And so um, I, I thought maybe I like languages, so maybe I can learn more languages. I'll learn Italian, I'll learn French, and then I can get a more interesting job, uh, go go away and travel and things like that in my job. But then I came to Italy, but I was always painting and I did some murals. And, and then there was a, a, an art teacher, actually, and he saw my work and he said, but say you're an artista. And he invited me, which means you are an artist. Right. And he invited me to come the next year to this small little village at the cultural festival. And they were giving me an exhibition space, a beautiful medieval building. 
And I could exhibit there for a month and everything was kind of paid for and I could just sell. And and, and I had to, to sort of uh, cross over a year. So I went back to the Netherlands and I was fortunate enough to work in a studio of a lady, a Dutch artist who was very successful as an abstract artist. And in that time I was painting rather Dali-like. That was kind of my style. And she advised me to loosen up, which I did. And I had my first exhibition and I sold all my, not all, but almost all my paintings and that first exhibition. And that was for me the moment that I thought, yes, so you're an artista. I am an artist. Anyway, I went to Italy, lived there for four years and my relationship broke up. I came back to the Netherlands, but then I had to go through this process of being accepted for art galleries to, to be a, a, a a serious professional artist. So I was uh, checked, sort of checked out by this committee, serious committee, and then I was accepted. And then I was uh, officially sort of okay to go into the gallery scene. That's kind of the story. So, and this is now over 35 years ago. And uh, yeah, I moved to Spain uh, in 2003. Oh, that's <laughs> so. amazing. And, and, I want to go back to with when your dad said go to secretarial school because artists mm. don't make money and yeah. how now the typing skills and some of those skills pay off because you're writing and you're an yes. author. And, yeah. and I think so many times we think that if we learn something outside of the thing we want to do all the time, that it's, it's never going to work or it doesn't pan out. But I always say everything works together for the good. And everything yes. comes together in the end. Even if you're learning a skill today that you think has no relevance it will have a rev relevance at some time. And so you're like a living example of that. Like, yes, yes. Like, hey, you know, I didn't want to be a secretary and it was actually kind of boring and I didn't even like it. And I was depressed no. even. And you stuck with it while you kept your creativity going on the side. You didn't shut it down. You just no. found other avenues. And that natural coping skill, I mean, obviously paid off. And, and then the right people at the right time saw you and the other thing that gets me is you said yes to the offer, mm. you know, because yes, some, yes. some people would have said no, they would have like Howard or I'm not an artist or, or thought about it or declined that invitation. And so I always say, just say yes. Ooh. Always yeah. say yes. Thank, thank you actually for pointing that out. And it gives me goosebumps because I never thought about it that way because I am very often doubt, have certainly in the past doubting myself, but I had no doubts. That was very strong in me. Yes, that is me. I'm going to do that. Right. So yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Right. You said yes, when maybe at another time or in another way, you would have said no. And certainly the lesson for all of us is when something presents itself to us, then we want to say yes to the opportunity because we never know where it's going to take us. We never know sure. it's opportunity, even though you didn't want to go to secretarial school, you said yes. And now as an author, you can type really fast. And as a business yes. owner, you have skill sets that some people had to learn from scratch if they're going to own a business because nobody ever taught them yet. So, also true. so when you say yes, great things happen. So I just want to point that out to all the listeners and to myself and remind us that my, I always say, just say yes, keep saying yes, because the right thing will happen at the right time. And as I'm listening to your story, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, true. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's Interesting. wonderful. It's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. So um, let's talk about change for a minute. 
How do you use creativity and art to help somebody through change yourself or somebody else? What, what do you do? How do you use it? Well, I have uh, myself. It was, it's been a coping mechanism, I think, uh, throughout my life because painting keeps me sane. That's the simplest way of, of saying it. If, if I, I do it anyway. So, but also writing, by the way, they're both kind of equally important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I published my first book in 2010 uh, and have since written eight, but that, that was the moment that I kind of felt I'm also a writer. And as I like to say, I, 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 I tell stories with my painting and I paint a picture with my stories. That's kind of a nice way of saying it, I feel, but it's also kind of true because uh, I like writing in a sort of way, the way that I speak and I like writing stories, real stories, actually. But um, yeah, helping, helping it, for me, it's a coping mechanism, but I became also an art teacher in 2006 uh, and I, I, I never thought I would be, but I was living in this, this was already in Spain, and I was living in this little uh, village, one of those typical whitewashed, whitewashed village, uh, villages. And uh, there was a woman and she said, oh, I really want to learn how to paint with acrylics. And she said, do you do that? I said, well, yeah, I do both. I do oils and acrylics. And she says, I really want to learn that. And I said, oh, there's already two teachers in the village. It's a small village. She said, yeah, but one's just doing live drawing and the other one is doing uh, watercolors. And I'm not interested. I've been to them and I didn't like it. I want to do acrylics. And I said, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And, and so it was through somebody else that I started doing that. And I've been an art teacher since then. And what I've found is that I'm actually, well, I, that sounds maybe a bit, Weird, but I'm I'm pretty good at it for the right people because what I'd really like to do is let people discover their own artist because I believe we all have creativity within and you can express yourself with art and it is really healing and everybody can find their own style with a bit of guidance guidance with a few tools so in my classes I don't tell them we're all going to work from this still life or we are, which can be very useful and it can be very helpful. Uh, I personally don't work from examples. My, uh, even though I paint a lot of uh, women, uh, they're all, I don't use models. Uh, but for, my, for people in my class, I do give them some examples, but I encourage them to work from something they like uh, and, and try a style of painting that they like so that they have fun in the creative process. So some of them go on to actually become selling artists, which makes me kind of proud. Some of two, two of them so far, uh, but um, most of them are just painting for pleasure and because it makes them calm. One lady actually made a video a testimonial and she says, when I paint and she says, I'm not good, but that those are her words. And uh, she says, "It just I just get peace of mind. I just feel so at peace when I do that. And I think that's the power of creativity and maybe more so in these days and, and of coronavirus. And of course, through COVID, that, that became again a big change. And uh, my art classes just disappeared because I was also teaching uh, teenagers, but quite specific teenagers from world schooling families. And um, but those classes disappeared. And then I had to take my first steps uh, in teaching online, which I know a lot of artists are now doing. And uh, I do have uh, an art class on a Saturday morning for women. And uh, that's the only one so far that I've set up and is 
going well. It's been going well for a year. And it's, I myself was maybe more the most surprised that it actually works and that it's really nice that people are still in the class. They can still interact. It's still like a nice, welcoming little group. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it's healing for people. I, and that's actually maybe the best answer to what you just asked me. Bit of a long answer, but. Oh, it's a great answer. So <laughs> okay. I, I um, work with visionary leaders and all my clients are creatives or musicians, mm -hmm. artists, athletes are creatives. Yes. And every once in a while, some of the most gifted, talented, creative people will look right at me and say, I don't have any creativity left or I can't get to my creativity or it's mm -hmm. all blocked up, something like that. Yeah. So if somebody said that to you, what would you do to help them? Or what would you say to them? How would you help that person access their own inner creativity, which we know is in there, even though they can't feel it? I'd, 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 well, I would encourage them to try just, just break through the, those, that, that, uh, that strong feeling of, uh, I, I don't have it. Maybe work from an example, maybe from, uh, there's, there's different ways of, of doing it. You could uh, make a, a, these days with, and maybe some people say, oh, you shouldn't really do that. But I, I, I disagree. Um, just a, a picture of an artist uh, that you like, maybe an old art, maybe let's, let's take Van Gogh. Um, and uh, find a picture, maybe uh, turn it into like a cartoon or not, not so much a cartoon, but into a drawing with the telephone app and then work from that and do your own thing with it. I always encourage people to do their own thing. When they work from an example, I let them work from my examples if they like to, because a lot of people need that sort of structure. They need to look at something they can copy. And I do feel that uh, if they work from and go outside and work on an easel that's that's not not the easiest thing you need to have some experience i think um or uh, just just uh, yeah it, it's just nice to have something there that you can look at and that already has colors and techniques i do tell everybody of course to refer to the artist if they show their work to people and uh, on facebook and i i do recommend to not sell that <laughs> right. but um so, that's my way of uh, teaching yeah. so the way that somebody let me see if i get this right so if somebody feels all blocked up and they are not connected to their creativity what you're saying is just start somewhere yes start set well with uh, give tips of course i would give them tips where they could start and and for me that would be find something you really like it, it can be just an image of a heart and copy that heart and just start, just start and, and maybe focus on the mixing, focus on and then see what comes. So get in touch with your intuition. Uh, and so once you get the flow going, when you first connect with something that you really love and like, and then you start kind of like put the brush to the canvas, then it starts coming through and let it come through instead of trying to overthink it. Yes, let it come through. And what uh, I, I've got a lady in my art class now. She says she she was there before, and then she stopped because she felt awkward because there were some ladies who have really developed, and they are now making really nice paintings. And she feels a little bit awkward about that. She told me, but she came back because she says I need I need to pay I need it I need it, and I want to come back. And she finally said, I was able to let go of my. Uh, my perfectionism. I was able to let go of looking at others and just get in touch with who I am and who, what do I like. And then with your tips, your help, how to do, she found that she was a smooth 
it's, it's, I don't know, artists will probably understand what I mean, quite a smooth artist that everything, because I personally like to work with a palette knife, so it's splashing things on. And she wanted to be smooth, so I gave her some techniques so you can do that. And so she's now really helpful and and she's now happy with what she does. That's actually what I'm trying to say, I think. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> yes. perfect. And I think that what you're saying is so valuable because so many people overthink things and then they're perfectionistic and they let the fear yeah. and the perfectionism stop them from having joy Yes. of the creativity. And so I'm glad you brought that up because I think that perfectionism is a, is a big block for a lot of people. I think so too. Yes. I see it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you do. And so what happens when you have somebody who's overthinking? Like they're so in their head, they don't let the flow come and don't let the intuition come. Is there a tip you would give somebody who's like, like, you know, always in their head and we need to get it more into their heart and more into their flow? Well, I would say that when you are painting, you're not really in your head anymore. Well, that's my experience. So once the brush hits the canvas and you start. Yeah, because it it, uh, down. yes, because I don't think, well, most of the people I have been teaching and who came to me, uh, the moment you are either, if you work from an example or from whatever, whatever you do, if it just comes from you or if it's an example or you try to copy some flowers or whatever it is, you, you're, you, it looks like you're in your head because you have to copy and you have to look and you have to observe. And that's part of the whole thing. Observe, learning how to observe. If you can observe and then you can paint a thing, or at least you can draw because everybody can put a straight line or a little circle on a piece of paper. So in theory, everybody can do that. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I don't think that that happens. I don't think there are perfectionists like this lady who was in my class. And I did encourage her all the time, let, try and let it go. And, and my personal way of, of helping people is, I like to point out the good and, and I've had so many people in my classes because I, I do like four week classes and I do workshops. And, and so I, I just like to point out what they are good at. Start with that. Right. <laughs> and that really lifts them up and then they become happy. And this can be a tiny little thing. It can be just a little corner on their painting that it has really beautiful accidental just not intentional mixture of colors and it's really beautiful and then I point that out and I said if you could do this then you can do more and try and focus on that focus on what you can and that usually gets them out of that perfectionism mm -hmm. for some it's more difficult than for others but uh, sure I, I deal with overthinkers all the time all my clients are gifted and they love to overthink and perfectionism yeah. is probably our number one <laughs> barrier we're always dealing with so that's really, why I asked you because really. yeah. you're listening to the show Okay. And so you also are an author and you paint pictures with your words. And so <laughs> tell us a little bit about what started the writing. How did that all get started? And, uh, you know, about that transition. I, I'm interested in how that happened. Yeah. Well, um, I, I always liked writing. This was way before the internet and emails. And when I was in New Zealand, I was there for a year. I was 20, 21 when I went there. I wasn't too happy there. So I wrote really long letters to people. And then when I got back to, to the Netherlands a year later, uh, some people saved my letters and they said, I love the way you write. I really like the way you write. And I thought, or maybe I should do something with this. And then I did try, and I tried to, to, to write down my experience of living in New Zealand. 
And it was really boring. It didn't work at all. And then actually years later, after, so I kind of gave up and I continued writing long letters because I always do, still do, long emails, long letters, people who know me. Uh, but, um, well, it's long emails now, letters not so much. Uh, but uh, then I came back from Italy and I worked in a, in a small coffee bar for a while. And there were, there was a, I, I became friends with a journalist and I told him this story. I said, I really like to write, but I don't know how to get it, how to shape it. And then he says, well, may I challenge you? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, please do. And he says, well, and he was a literature lover and a book lover. And he said, uh, why don't you write five short stories in three weeks time? And uh, what sells really well is erotic, eroticism. Is that a good word? Yeah, erotic, erotic uh, stories. And so I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try. And I went home and I still remember to this day, I'm sitting down on my balcony and the story just, just came. And I never felt happier. I felt so happy when I wrote. Right. And for me, it works kind of best to start with the end. And I just wrote five stories and he read them and he says, oh, you, you're, you're very talented. You should, really should do more with this. And then I actually went to the UK for a week, which was in a bit of a weird, I'm just throwing this in now, but it is a big subject. My mother had euthanasia in the Netherlands and I wanted to get away from it because it was a few weeks before actually this happening. And um, it, it's, by the way, a very positive experience and it's fine. And I'm total peace with it because she was really suffering. But I wanted to get away and I went to a little seaside town, side town in the UK and to write. And I met a man. And uh, he, long story short, he became my partner, came to the Netherlands, and then we actually moved together to Spain six, uh, three years later. However, uh, I kind of stopped the writing and I picked it up when my ex and I um, sort of, we stopped living together. We were still friends, but we weren't partners anymore. I picked it up again. I joined in um, an English writing club. So I also started translating my stories because I'd written them in, in Dutch and I translated them to English, wrote a few more, and that was it. My first book uh, was Birthed, <laughs> is that how you say it? And it's, it's called Secret Thoughts. So it's just a, 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 a quirky short stories. And the, what the guy, which was actually really good, he, he um, when he suggested for me to write short stories, he said, try and write from a male, as if you are a man, as if you are a woman, as if you are... Uh, I don't know, uh, an object. So I did. And for example, I, I have a story about a lamppost in the book who is jealous of the tile, the street tile, who can look up under the skirts. It's just a funny story, <laughs> I think. <laughs> anyway, that's, but they're very quirky stories. So that was my first book and uh, the start of my writing career. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And I love how the creativity is there. And like you say, you, paint the pictures with your words. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And I love how it, it goes with your art. Now, I know one of your stories um, has to do with addiction and recovery. And a lot of my clients are in recovery as well. And, and I've been a champion for at least the last 30 years on changing the conversation about addiction to the fact mm -hmm. that people are really suffering from pain and trauma and the, you know, uh, the judgment and the abuse of people who are suffering has really, really 
hurt me over many years because I've mm-hmm. been in this space way before people were talking about it, talking about the fact that, um, that we need to see it differently. We need to understand that people who are suffering with different kinds of addictions are just that suffering and yes. changing the story and offering real help instead of the superficial things that just don't work, that just placate it, harm reduction. So tell us a little bit about your book that relates to this. Yes, well, this is the, the, the man I met in, in the UK, he was an alcoholic. He was a so-called functioning binge drinking alcoholic. And I knew from the start and I decided I was for Florence Nightingale. And um, well, that was an, an interesting ride that follows, I would say, because a journey, I should, I'd like to call it a journey because he was a, an amazing guy. He was very, very funny laughed so much with him and he was very extremely intelligent but he had a drinking problem which wasn't always there he had long periods that he didn't drink and I totally fell in love with him and he became to came to the Netherlands with me and then we moved to Spain and uh, he became uh, um, he was a very good teacher an extremely good teacher and had an excellent CV so he found a job first in northern Spain and then we came to the south and I also became uh, well a teacher for a little while in the north, and then I became a translator from Dutch to English, and he became my proofreader. So we also worked together, and it was a very well wobbly ride. Is 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 probably an understatement. It wasn't easy, but what irritated me, possibly even most, was the reaction of a lot of my the people I know, of friends and quite a few of my family members. And they would just say, oh, why don't you leave that jerk? He's a loser and you're too good for that. And how is it possible? You were such an independent woman. And and I just felt it's not fair. You don't really understand. And although I did, it wasn't easy and I did struggle uh, big time, but I'm someone who talks about my my problems. And, but I did find out that a lot of people don't. They, they like to keep it quiet they, they live in isolation and they think they're alone and and it, it's it's a difficult subject and even even my ex he told me what it's meant for him to be there and he said I'm, I'm an intelligent guy why am I doing this to myself and the whole subject subject fascinated me also in a sense so when we kind of at the end of our 12 years together working and so the last year I started I, I, I don't know how it came that it became a book but I put, talked to people and I said maybe I should write, write a book about it and I interviewed other people and I wrote the book in three months and it just came to me it just people just came to me they said oh you can interview me and you can interview me and I was in I was invited to sit in at an AA meeting in a village nearby and I was able I'm really grateful to also interview some recovering alcoholics I interviewed people from throughout Europe uh, like Holland Holland um, well Belgium not <laughs> but Germany Norway Denmark Ireland England a lot of countries Spain of course and um they, they all told their stories. And these are like children, partners, parents of alcoholics, but also healthcare workers and alcoholics. And so the book actually tells their stories. But in my style, it's a storytelling book. Uh, so there are like, but, but I was fascinated by it. And, and my fascination most of all was uh, the fact that people 
felt so isolated and they felt alone. They felt, oh gosh, this is happening to me. And and that made me almost, and still, I, I mean, this is behind me now. I've, I've been married to a Spanish avocado farmer and we're, we're happy. It's a very different life. So it's not a, a subject in my life anymore, but I'm still very passionate about the subject. So I actually revised and re-edited the book uh, during lockdown and... Uh, it's, it's called now Cheers, Breaking the Silence, One Voice at a Time. And I've, I feel it's important. I still feel it's important that people know about this. And as you say, it should be out in the open and this whole stigma should, should go. I, I don't know. I, I, I find it a, still a fascinating subject and I'm still passionate about it. So, yeah. Right. Well, as a professional in the substance abuse and mental health world mm. for 40 years, I, yes. I've been intimately involved with it. And what I, when you're talking about the silence and people being isolated, that's the first thing that disease does is it isolates yeah. the, the victim, if you will, from its support yeah. system, which is the exact same process of domestic violence. So yes. it, it is traumatizing. And actually for an alcoholic, when they go out and drink and use, they experience the ultimate betrayal toward themselves. Mm-hmm. And so the wounds are deep. The process is not, is clear to those of us who understand it, but makes no sense often to somebody who doesn't understand it mm-hmm. because that form of betrayal, self-betrayal comes in, in many areas and other people do it just not using addiction. Right. And yeah, the first step of the of any disease is isolate the person from their support, whatever that is. And so then people think they're all alone. And yeah. once we think we're all alone and we're the only one going through whatever we're going through, whether it's addiction or depression or anything, um, the moment we start believing we're all alone and it's only happening to us, that is a problem. Like that's where we need to get help and reach out even when yes. we don't want to. And even when yeah. we don't think we need to, because we're not alone. That is a lie that our brain tells us that's not true. Yeah. And so I I'm agree. glad you wrote the book and I'm glad you revised the book and um, are helping give the voice for people and more and more people are talking about it, but it's still very, has a very long way to go. Yes, and 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 I because you, you you said isolation also. I think it's both the addict and I would it, I think in one of my stories I don't I, I call myself addicted to the addict. Yes, because you become well they call it called dependency, and that was of course my story. But I was just as addicted to him as he was to his substance. Totally and, great awareness on your part, and I teach that to people, yeah. and they look at me like I'm goofy, but that's true. <laughs> So yes. the codependent person is addicted to the addict. So then what happens yeah. is if the addict gets sober and they change and the codependent person does not change, no. they're not going to get along. In fact, no. I've even had husbands and wives after I've helped somebody get sober and stay sober for quite some time doing really well. I've had the husband or wife in different situations say to the person who's in recovery, I liked you better when you were high or drunk because I knew mm. what to expect. And so it's a family challenge. It's a family dis-ease, D-I-S hyphen E-A-S-E. It's a dis-ease. The whole family has to be engaged in rectifying what went wrong. And otherwise, we're just spinning circles. Yes, I totally can see that. Yes. 
Yeah. Hmm. It's fascinating. So hmm. what are you working on today in, the, in, in, in this time frame? You've got all these books out, you're doing all these painting classes. Are you working on some future project you want to share? Uh, well, yeah, my, I, I have two things that are major. I, I must admit, I was, and maybe this happens also to a lot of people in, in lockdown. You're trying to, oh God, where am I going? What can I do? So I had, oh, I want to do this and I want to get this book more known and I want to get my, my Cheers book, which is important to me, seen by more people. And so how do I do that? Do I do this and networking? And, and I was driving myself crazy, to be honest. And I thought I need to take a few steps back. So my, at the moment, I'm trying to, to take it slowly and yeah, focus on my, my Cheers book and focus on my arts both. I need them both. They're both important to me. So I'm painting at the moment. I'm painting some bulls, <laughs> toros, so Spanish bulls, but um, in my style, very colorful. And I want to give them secret messages because I'm, I'm, I'm not pro bullfighting. I mean, I, I, I'm quite against it and I don't even eat meat. So, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of like painting animals now. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. And the Cheers book, I'm trying to uh, do more with that. And I'm still uh, working on something I would love to do is create a safe space. I haven't done the framework yet, uh, but what I really would love to do is create a group uh, uh, in Facebook where I will uh, give um, so it's a safe space where uh, people, and I, I want to do women because I do think the dynamic change, if you put men and women together, and that's not good or bad, but it's just different, uh, but women uh, in a group and then um, do art and writing, and I would give suggestions. And it's not, I'm not a therapist. I don't pretend to be one, but I do think it could be a, a nice space to to work on yourself and I would then give art classes and and uh, yeah things to do to maybe uh, find some peace of mind or cope with your situation that's that's a dream of me that's something I'm working on developing and I want to get that out there and oh, do that wonder that's wonderful so for everybody yeah. if you're curious about the book or or Renata's art or whatever in the show notes, you will find all of the links to everything, all of her social media, how to find her, her website, the book, everything. So go Thank into you. the show notes and follow her, tell, tell her you heard her here on Someone Gets Me and grab the book and, and join some of the things that she's giving to the world. Because as you can hear, she's authentically a really powerful, beneficial presence. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> so I have a couple questions that are kind of more personal and quirky, if you will. And one okay. is, what is the most memorable food you've ever eaten? You've traveled all over the world and I'm sure you've had some memorable food in your day. What's the thing that sticks out as the most memorable? Oof. <laughs> oh, oof. <laughs> um, well, I'd, I'd probably have to, uh, that sounds maybe a bit weird, but it probably has to be the avocado because in, in the Netherlands, I did eat avocados, but they were all, I bought them and then they were brown and <laughs> didn't know so much what to do with it. And since I live in Spain, of course, and then married an avocado farmer, I know about avocados and, and the whole, mem the, the nicest memories maybe when I just met my husband and, uh, um, 
I went with him to the avocado farm. And I think the moment I totally fell in love with him is when I saw that he was in love with his trees. And he, he showed me his trees and he, without even showing me, he was sort of doing that to the tree, like blowing it a kiss. And I thought, oh, <laughs> so I guess that's the most memorable food. But I'm, I've been, I love food. I love to cook. And I, I in Italy, I actually interviewed mothers of my friends to write down recipes and I still have them and I, I should create a book of it, but I haven't done that yet. But uh, so I couldn't just pick something else. It's, it's, it's the avocado, I suppose, because there's a quirky story around it. Sure. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, is there anything that you wanted to share today that I have not asked you about? I have one last question, but I like to end the show on that question. So when you think about everything we've covered today, is there anything that you would wanted to say or talk about that I neglected to ask about? Um, no, I guess well, not necessarily. It's just if, if people are interested in who I am, I also wrote a book about my life as an artist in, in Spain called, uh, called Tapas of Tales. Am I saying that correct? Yeah, Tapas of Tales. <laughs> I'm getting a bit confused now. But, uh, my, it's, uh, my English is good, but I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know why, but anyway. Um, yeah, so maybe uh, that could be interesting because it's a quirky, quirky stories that actually really happened to me here in Spain. Um, and that's, that's my, that's also my style. So I like to write about, about things that happen. And I also wrote a book about the village where I live, which is an in interesting village called La Herradura, which actually means horseshoe bay, a horseshoe, and it's a bay in the form of a horseshoe. And it attracts a lot of, has really special energy and it attracts a lot of um, uh, artists and writers and musicians. So it's a very interesting little village and I'm quite happy to be here. So yeah, I guess, I don't know, I'm just babbling a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to put all that in the show notes. Yeah, I thank think, you. I think the, the, the overarching thing that I'm feeling here is that if you're listening to Renata and you see how quirky and cool and groovy she is, then you're probably going to vibe with all of her things. So check them out, check out her art and her <laughs> writing because see, we're all quirky here. Um, in my community, someone gets me at members.someonegetsme.com, which is associated with this podcast. We're all the quirky, goofy people hanging it's, out in our own little fantastic. Yeah. And um, I have an inner circle there and all of that kind of thing. So you may want to, hop on there and hang mm. out with us. So nice. the last question of the day is if we were going to have a billboard that the entire world was going to see with Renata's quote on it, what would it say? Oh, um, probably uh, trust your intuition and share your inspiration. Oh, I love that. Trust your intuition and share your inspiration. Woo, that's right up my alley. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> well, thank you, Renata, for being on the show with oh, us today. Thank, thank you for you. sharing your value and your wisdom and your creativity in how to deal with change. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Diane. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, you're now you've got me doing it. It's my pleasure to host the show. So remember everybody. Put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and let your light shine and be that lighthouse that you're meant to be. Until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. 
I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.